saw. Get started. Hello, I'm Max Kempkin. And I'm looking for my baby. <laughs> this is episode 9 of the Rewatch Podcast. This week we're watching episode 9 of Lost, Raised by Another. This episode of Lost is brought to you by Igloo, an intranet you will actually like. Are you feeling deserted in your job? Is collaboration with the others failing? Igloo's cloud intranet platform makes it easy to stay connected at work. It's built using easy-to-use apps like file sharing, blogs, shared calendars, and task management to unite your office. You can start using Igloo for free at igloosoftware.com slash lost. How you doing, Patrick? I'm doing good. I just finished up a very intense episode of The Leftovers. Was how is, ter- how is, I still haven't seen that show. Is it is it going strong? Yeah, it's a very polarizing show. Uh, it's a, I believe, it's really a show that you're either going to love or you're going to hate. I've I've really fallen for it in a as much as you can fall for a show that is does not make you feel good at any point. Like it's it's not a show about hope <laughs> at, at, at any turn. Uh, there, you know, some some shows take you to dark places and then lead you the way out. The leftovers just says, eh, just leave you at the end of this cave. Uh, but it's 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 a really interesting show. That's sort of broadly how I feel about uh, Walking Dead. Have you have you gotten into that at all? Yeah, uh, I like theoretically The Walking Dead. Like the idea of a serialized horror show it sounds like something that is written explicitly for me. Uh, but you know what makes any high concept show work is the characters. Right? Like the high concept is only interesting for a little while. Right. So. You know, with the leftovers, it's you know a rapture, a rapture-like event. With the Walking Dead, it's a bunch of zombies. You know, with Lost, it's an island. And high concept shows can only live off the high concept for a little while, and then they have to rely on characters. Um, the plotting doesn't even have to be that interesting as long as the characters themselves in the setting are interesting. And the Walking Dead, I think, just famously has had just completely awful characters that have no interesting or relatable motivations and. The only way I've watched the most, I've watched most of it. I end up like watching, catching up with it when there's nothing else really to watch, um, which would be at the point where you make fun of me uh, for not watching The Wire uh, and instead catching up on The Walking <laughs> Dead, a show I actively dislike. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the Leftovers has like really compelling characters in a high concept drama, um, and I think that's what makes like, you know Lost work as well. Whereas The Walking Dead is just it's zombies and okay four seasons of that or five it could i don't know i've lost a lot of time to that bad yeah, show i um i don't know walking dead seemed seemed too scary for me or i don't know i just sort of like felt like i missed the boat on it and then i played the the telltale game and it like blew me away one of my one of my favorite games from i don't know what two two years ago when that first yeah came out. two years ago um, um yeah no you played the better I mean, the first season of The Walking Dead, which was, uh, you know, the pilot was directed by Frank Darabont, who's done a lot of excellent stuff over the years, and uh, he was the showrunner, I believe, at that point as well, and he was kicked off for some drama in the in the second season. Um, but uh, the first season was was pretty okay, um, and yeah, they actually ended up. So I start, they, I started watching it after I played the Telltale game, and I I just found it kind of bleak. Like I just found it to be like hopeless, I guess. And it and, is, yeah, uh, no, it, it's and, and yeah, there's not a, a lot of hope. Um, but if you're going to do a hopeless show, you also need you still need something to grab onto, right? Like you need to have something to take you through that ride, especially. You know, the the Walking Dead and the Leftovers both have something in common in that they both don't seem particularly interested in addressing sort of the 
the gen the, like the larger mythological answers. Like they're both they just start with a premise and say that's where we're going. We're not going to worry about what happens after that. We're just going to see what the characters do. But at least in the leftovers, I found them to be really interesting uh, characters. Or at least there's a couple that you kind of grab onto. Whereas The Walking Dead has that one guy who's kind of the the hillbilly guy. I always forget his name, but he's he. He is the only character or one of the only characters that is not from the comics. They made him up explicitly for the show, and I don't think it's a coincidence that he's he's probably the best character on that show. But don't watch The Walking Dead. It's a bad show. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's get into some follow-up from uh, last week's show. Um, so I'll do the first one. Uh, this is from Sarah. Um, Sarah said uh, there was a question uh, about shows that had a similar feeling to Lost, and she felt that – Fringe, while different, had a lot of uh, brought up a lot of similar feelings for her of like a mystery with a lot of great world building um, and some great mythology, um, and then it also uh, plays around with uh, this is according her now uh, plays around with one of my favorite themes of Lost, especially in the first season of magic versus science and destiny versus self determination. Mm. Um, were you uh, a Fringe fan? So I I started watching. I watched the first two or three seasons of Fringe, uh, largely because that, I believe it started in parallel with Lost. It, it definitely had to have been on when Lost was still on. And, you know, that was uh, a J.J. Abrams-produced show, and it was also born out of J.J. Abrams' uh, deep love of the X-Files. So if you were to tell me, you know, five years ago, hey, J.J. Abrams, the creator of Lost, is going to make a new show sort of based on the X-Files... Um, you know, I would have watched anything <laughs> at that point. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Fringe was interesting because I just sort of fell off it, not because I disliked it. I just, it was just one of those shows that for whatever reason in between seasons or like, you know, when you record stuff on a DVR, eventually it just like self-selects what to delete. I think it might've been based on what you've last recorded. And I just lost like half a season and just never quite got back on there. But that was a show that was interesting because, it started out trying to replicate the X-Files formula of a larger mythology with Monster of the Week episodes uh, and then ditch that once it realized it wasn't going to get the critical mass. What, that, was, the, what was like the overall story, uh, story idea of Fringe? I, I never saw it or, or knew anything about it. Uh, like, mm, our, our questioner gets a little into, like, they, it's not really revealed too early. Like, it kind of plays out over, over a couple of seasons, but they're... Uh, there are some metaphysical aspects. Uh, well, I mean, sometime. I just mean like, what's the what's the premise? Is it are is it like police or detectives or? or it's yeah. It... There's like this this uh, this older man who is like this crackpot uh, uh, professor, but you know, it turns out, aha, he actually knows you know everything that he's talking about, and then it ends up directly applying to the fringe division, which is like this, you know, in the same way of the X Files, sort of a. Uh, you know, they get all the weird cases um, that, that no one else wants to take or no one else uh, quite uh, knows how to tackle. And uh, th- that show was interesting because it tried to ape that X-Files style and then realized because it wasn't going to get that large audience that it should just start serving the audience that actually is watching. Right. So they actually switched completely over to mythology at some point. And then the show got really, really interesting because it was able to move at a much faster pace because uh, it was not concerned at that point of you know worrying about 15 million people watching they just cared about you know the four or five or whatever you know their numbers were and it became a a pretty interesting show at that point unfortunately i just 
uh, never caught uh, around to, to finish watching it, which I feel terrible about because my good friend Chris Tilton scored the music for the entire series, so don't tell him I didn't finish watching it. Oh, man. Did you hear Chris's, um, did you ever, like, like listen to the soundtrack for the SimCity game that Chris worked on? Oh, it was fantastic. I it's did not play really that game, good. but I listened to that soundtrack. Chris, uh, he just he's doing the soundtrack for the new Assassin's Creed game. Oh, uh, Unity. I didn't know that. Uh, That's great. Um, he he just finished up uh, scoring that. In fact, he's been working the, on that for for a while Sim now. The SimCity soundtrack is so good. I it's one of my favorite albums to just put on and work to, and it's it's like it's got such a good energy to it. It's really good. Yeah, Chris is a guy that he was not only obsessed with Lost, but has a uh, a close personal connection to Michael Giacchino, and he he's someone we'll have uh, on throughout um, rewatch podcast because he uh, he has a lot of really good anecdotes about Lost and. Um, is also just an avid fan of it as well. We we talked about the show avidly throughout uh, its uh, its run, even though he was sending me photos from the scoring sessions. <laughs> uh, you want to take the the next uh, follow up? Uh, yeah, this is from Maddie. Um, I've rewatched Lost twice before, but listening along with your podcast is the first time I've really thought about and have engaged critically with Lost. I don't know if this is a popular fan theory or anything because I'm not engaged in fandoms, but all the characters on the island have no one that cares about them on the mainland. Or if they did, the people were brought to the island along with them. For example, Shannon and Boone, Desmond and Penny, Sun and Jin. Uh, this would further extend the purgatory theory, but honestly, I'm sure thousands of people have noticed this before me. Yeah, the pur- man, the purgatory theory. That, that is a mainstay of lost fandom that, you know what? I bet there's a guy on the internet that says it's still purgatory. <laughs> well, boy, I, this is pretty delicate to talk about, but like the the way, um, well, I, I think we can just say it. I, I don't think this is a big spoiler. The, so in the last episode, the finale of Lost, after the episode ended, they sort of showed the end credits and they showed this footage of the plane crash of just the, the plane on the beach with like nothing else, no characters, nothing, just the plane sitting on the beach. And I had, I've read afterwards that the reason they showed that over the credits was it was like they realized after production that they like, oh shit, we need something to put on these credits. And the, the B-roll of the plane sitting on the beach was like one of the only pieces of footage that they hadn't used elsewhere in the show. But a lot of fans interpreted that, um, especially in, in light of some of the events of the last season, interpreted that last shot to sort of mean that it it was purgatory all along so i know to this day it's a raging argument um as to as to whether the island is uh is purgatory or not yeah it it was a really fun uh theory that you know a lot of what happens in the show certainly can can help support an idea like that even if it's not really where the show ends up going but um yeah i mean i think maddie brings up a you know a really good point about there being sort of thematic uh, lines between a lot of the characters and the characters that are with other characters uh, on the island that, uh, you know, especially early on as you're kind of grasping for what's going on here, you know, you're looking for patterns and hope maybe the patterns mean something because you don't have a lot of, uh, else to go on in terms of what's happening in this show. So it's not a surprise that you start looking at, okay, well, who survived? Why did they survive? And, you know, in leading into the episode we're going to be talking about where they finally realize, Hey, maybe we should do a census and realize, uh, who is here and who's not here and, and what that might lead us to. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, in the same way that people started identifying theories or coming up with theories based on 
you know, patterns they found in the characters, you know, the the people on the island themselves were were then finding out stuff about <laughs> about themselves when they actually did a count. Yeah, I think it's it's also just really good storytelling and good writing on on the part of the producers because um you know, I think I think one of the, the we've talked about this a lot, but one of the big risks of doing a show where everything is set on you know a deserted island is you all you all you want as the viewer is to see the characters get off of the island, and I think they knew that creatively and sort of like emotionally for this show to be successful, that you as the viewer have to really want to see what happens on the island, and you want to be engaged there, and you kind of want the characters to stay on the island. Um, and they've done a great job of like making the thing that's interesting about the character play into their feelings about being on the island. So, you know, what's interesting about Jun and Jin and Sun is their relationship with each other, and that relationship is on the island, and you want to see what happens with it, and that's where the action is. Um, you know, what's what's interesting with a character like, you know, Sawyer or Locke is the way that they get to reinvent themselves uh, in their lives and how that plays off of their their past. And again, like that action is happening on the island. Um, so I think that's just I think that's just really solid storytelling. Um, but I, th- I just thought this was a pretty cool observation because I've, I've never really thought about that that almost everyone who has that that one close uh, significant other um, they're on the island with them. I mean, one obviously, yeah, and if, obviously you know, and it... one one exception is is uh, I just occurred to me is like Saeed, who we saw is uh, separated from uh, Nadia in last week's episode. Right. Right. And yeah, and it, you know, it just generally flips the script on the traditional sort of survival narrative, which is that you're surviving to escape. Right. And so, so Lost very cleverly does what seems obvious in retrospect, which is what if you didn't want to escape? What if what you found was better than what you had, um, which is just not, you know, a traditional narrative arc for when you <laughs> crash land somewhere. Um, so our next piece of follow-up is from Lane. Um, so this is a little bit of like meta meta follow-up about the show, but I, I thought it was interesting. So Lane says, uh, Hi, I'm just listening to the Moth episode recap, and I noticed that whenever you talk about fan theories, especially the ones that didn't pan out, for example, the purgatory theory, you guys both seem to dismiss it and basically reveal that it's not true and not what happens. And I think this is, uh, this is Lane, Lane talking still, I think this is somewhat spoiling things for newcomers who are watching the show along with you dismissing theories might diminish their viewing experience i don't know i just thought i would point it out um, ah you're probably right you're probably right <laughs> I, no <laughs> see i don't know i mean i mean so the one thing to keep in mind is you know for for anyone who was on the internet when lost was on like you, you weren't really watching the show in a vacuum like you have um carlton cuse and damon lindelof saying these characters are not in purgatory well, yeah they, yeah they, they, yeah you're you're right it's definitely worth pointing out that the creators did not even they left plenty of theories alone. Right. But one of the theories they pushed back on was purgatory because they thought it was so lame. They right. said it was a, a shitty explanation for what's happening. And so it was one of the few theories early on that they said no to because they just wanted to stamp out that as a possible explanation. Yeah, and they've continued to do so, which is why, you know, like talking about that that footage of the plane crash, like they have said publicly, like, that's not the interpretation that they intended of that footage. It was just the extra footage that they had. Um, so, and also just about, I mean, about spoilers in general. Um, I mean, my, my feeling is like, you know, I guess, I guess the, the, the two options that a lot of these things kind of tend to take is like all, you know, an all or nothing approach where it's like, well, we won't talk about any spoilers at all and we'll go in totally fresh or we're going to spoil everything. And we're, you know, we're, it's like the X-Files podcast. We're just going to, uh, 
Um, you know, we're going to watch it with the with the benefit of hindsight and, and talk about everything on the table. And I think um, I think what's fun about our format is like I, I think that that I, I like the way that we curate the things that we we talk about. Like like you know, so we we you know, I would say for for the listeners, like trust us. You know, me, Patrick and I are obsessive fans about Lost. So you know, trust us that when it when it's helpful to the show or when we think it will enhance your experience, we'll we might you know hint about a spoiler or give you some some context or information but if there's a good surprise that that is that you know that we enjoyed being surprised by we we won't screw it up i agree um all right well let's um jump into our interview so this was this was like a, a real surprise interview um so i was at uh um i'm at uh, gen con this week which is the big uh, board game show in indianapolis and I was with uh, Mike Selinker. Um, so let's see. Um, if you, if you, if anyone plays board games at all, Mike is a prolific puzzle uh, designer and board game designer. Um, he's probably best known for creating Lords of Vegas and um, Betrayal at House on the Hill. Those are two very, very classic games. Um, uh, I believe he's contributed to Dungeons and Dragons. And most recently, he made the the um, uh, for like over a year now the number one board uh, game on uh, Board Game Geek, which is the the Pathfinder um, adventure card game, which is an outstanding uh, game. And Mike and I were were just uh, chatting this morning about uh, some stuff that we're working on. And I think I mentioned something to him about like, oh man, I haven't uh, figured out an interview yet for this week's podcast for the Lost podcast. And he's like, oh yeah, Lost. I made puzzles for the final season of Lost. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, uh, uh, I've never seen an episode of the show, but I worked directly with J.J. Abrams to make puzzles in Wired Magazine for the final season of Lost. So uh, I have a little uh, tape recorder in my backpack, and I just uh, um, uh, pulled it out, and we did kind of a walk and talk. So you'll hear us uh, in the interview. Uh, apologies to the audio quality, but um, I thought it was still a pretty a pretty cool interview. Um, so you'll hear us walking um, basically from like our, our hotel where we were having a meeting in a little meeting room. Um, like actually onto the convention floor itself, so it's going to get uh, noisier and noisier. But uh, Mike will will um, talk about some of his uh, experiences with Lost, and also um, he had some, he, you know, he's absorbed a lot of information about Lost just from pop culture, and he had some really cool just thoughts about Lost in general, sort of as a puzzle designer. Um, the one since we're we're talking about spoilers, the one thing uh, to keep in mind is there are some uh, uh, some discussions of uh, spoilers uh, in the episode. So uh, I don't think it's anything too serious, but if you're if you're very very spoiler sensitive, um, check the show notes, and I will post the the time code uh, where the interview ends if you want to skip it. But I, I think it's I'm pretty sure it's safe to listen to. Um, so all right, we'll go to uh, my uh, my uh, walk and talk with Mike Selinker. Oh, and this music is perfect for the. Uh... Yeah, they, I, I do enjoy that the hotel is playing. Well, now it's like elevator music, but all weekend they were playing like the Diablo soundtrack sure. and the. Okay, so. Abby, are you heading back to the puzzle booth? Um, yes, I have to uh, get the badges for the prizes out of my room. Hey guys, I left the door open. Cool. Um, okay, so we are uh, in uh, Indianapolis. I'm walking uh, into uh, Gen Con with Mike Selinker. Hey there. Mike, what do you do? I make puzzles and games and stuff. Mike, so Mike is uh, at Gen Con to release the, uh, what, what are you calling it, the second edition? Second, second uh, base set. Of here, the, we want these elevators here. Of the Pathfinder Adventure Card Game. And this is the Pathfinder Adventure Card Game, for those of you who have not played it, is like the shit at Gen Con. This is the, this is the game of, the, it was the game of the year last year, too. It was the game of the, oh no, that too. 
It was the game of the year last year when yeah. you made the first one, and now it's the game of the year again when you did the, uh, the it's, sequel. It's certainly a game of the year. It's, it's all anyone is playing. It's right. crazy. Um, so Mike and I were, were having um, we were having breakfast together this morning, and I was lamenting that uh, we I hadn't figured out anyone at Gen Con to interview for the Lost Podcast. Yes, and Mike drops this bombshell. Sure. So uh, uh, I did a lot of stuff for Wired, and I uh, I wrote the puzzles for the last episode of Lost. <laughs> um, so there's a series of puzzles that were embedded into a section. In Wired, that was like the big reveal. It came out like like uh, three weeks before the 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 finale, so that people could prepare for it. And we like did stuff with the Dharma logo. We rebuilt the Dharma logo. We uh, um, used the the wheel. I can't remember what it's called, but the, the <laughs> now tell our listeners of for the Lost podcast sure. your level of expertise with yeah, okay. Lost. Um, uh, it is it is quite extensive. Um, I didn't know what Lost was <laughs> when they came to me, and um, I hadn't watched it, and we needed to start that day, and, uh, and so there was no time whatsoever for me to watch even a single episode of Lost, but thankfully, uh, my, my team member, Tailwind, uh, was a Lost junkie, so I said to her, I want you to tell me about Lost. Just start talking, and I will tell you when you say something interesting, <laughs> right? So she just she just starts. Saying, okay, well, there's this island. Like, okay, I got that from the picture on the. Right? So so she just kept going. I went, oh, there's a Dharma logo. What? Tell me about that, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a there's a wheel uh, that that has people's names on it. Tell me mm-hmm. about that. Uh, and so basically, by osmosis. I learned everything I needed to know about Lost and nothing else, and uh, and turned it into an entire puzzle suite. Uh, and the Abrams people, uh, this is the second time I worked with them. Uh, the the Abrams people were like, "You you must really understand, like you must be the, have the the." Perfect understanding of loss to have come up with this thing. I said, absolutely. And how how was the puzzle received in, oh, in comparison t- to the reception of the ending of Lost? <laughs> <laughs> nah, it was it was torn apart. I mean, everybody loved it. Um, they they uh, they um, uh, there were there were online forums devoted to it. There was like this this crazy thing that they did, which was like required you to. There, there was a series of numbers. Um, and it wasn't just like six digits, it was like uh, 200 different numbers that had to be uh, undecoded and stuff like that and and big forums popped up, what could this mean and and all that, it it was a lot of fun. Um, There were uh, a lot of people who were very quick to figure out one piece of the puzzle, which is that I wrote it, and so and so I got like like my name got posted on the Lost forums as this guy knows the answers and stuff like that. So I oh, you like you know how Lost ends. <laughs> yeah, and you exactly. Know, right? So not only was I yeah, not only was I an expert on the puzzle, but I was also an expert on everything. And did you about- just start making stuff up? Oh like- yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like, there's like okay, so uh, so the island it's actually underwater. Um, <laughs> And uh, yeah, I just started throwing, throwing things out there because the, if I said anything at all, it was treated as if like there was no sarcasm meter in the lost community at all. Oh man, like, there was never any point where they believe they didn't believe anything I said. So of course I said nothing that was factual. So I think I think one of the big questions for 
people like looking back at Lost is how much of the show was was sort of figured out and how tightly <laughs> controlled was it by the writers. So as they, they approached you to work on this, did yeah. you have a sense of like they had this plan and you were fitting into this piece of the plan? <laughs> well, <laughs> they, they do everything, as far as I can tell, they do everything on a whiteboard, which means everything gets erased and re-erased like a thousand times. So... Where where was the white? Were you like in the writers' room with no, them? No, no, or no. But okay. there was there was um, there was a lot of email back and forth, and I guess I think. Stuff. but I'm sure there there was an overall plan. But I gotta believe that someday they just said, I don't know, man, smoke monster. <laughs> sure, <laughs> do that, and, and that you know, because uh, they're they're really they're really cool. We had a weird relationship too, so. Um, so, J.J. Abrams and I talked to each other a whole bunch of times, uh, except we never talked to each other, mm-hmm. um, because there was always two layers of people between us. Like, I would send my stuff to Wired, uh-huh. and Wired would send it to, to, to you know, Linda Hoff or... or this is like, uh, did you, you watch West Wing, right? Yeah. This is like the scene where they have the chain of uh, translators in the yeah, kitchen. Exactly. Trying, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, Right, right. So there's this, there's like, goes through Wired, yeah. goes through the, the gatekeeper, goes to them, and then they say what, they said, oh, this is brilliant, you completely understand it. They send it, but here's some revisions, they send it back, bang, bang, bang. And so we had this, like, dialogue as if we were, like, one of us was on the International Space Station. <laughs> Right, and you just, you know, you just have to, you just have to accept that there's going to be, there's going to be this time delay while the signal gets, gets. Lost. It was so crazy. weird. Yeah, it was really and nuts. So now it's like ten years after Lost premiered. Is it really? yeah. It's the, yeah, it's the ten year anniversary. That's okay. why we're why we're doing the podcast. Sure. Do you have any desire to go back and watch it? Is it one of those like pieces of pop culture that you're like, I, I missed the boat on it, or? You know, I mean, yeah, I guess I do. See, I'm, I don't watch series TV um, because I don't I don't watch it while it, while it broadcasts because I never want to be in the situation of oh I got where's the next episode I, I want to like, right. so I binge watch things right and Lost is pretty big so I would have to take what is at least a week right to to burn through yeah right? someone I mean I think I think at a certain point so I mean I, I think popular consensus is like the first few seasons are really solid and then someone could sort of make you a list of episodes that sure. you really need to watch yeah, exactly. yeah. See, that's my problem with series TV right is that I I never want to commit to something that has a chance of falling off a cliff right Right, and I don't well, know. this doesn't just have a chance. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's say it does have a chance, and the chance is a hundred percent. Yeah, see. yeah. I see. So, so, so. I mean, yeah. Well, this is. Let me put it this way: it's like our our Pathfinder, our island hopping campaign that we did last night. Sure. In order to defeat the final boss, we were, you know, it was like we had him down to the one island, sure. and it was like we needed to roll. You know, an eight on a D10 or something sure. like that, and we all put our um, right. blessings in. Sure, sure. So it was like we had to roll, we had like rolling thirty D10s. Right. We're like, well, we have a chance of beating chance him. Of, yeah, chance of beating him, right? yeah. So yeah, it, okay. So it's a little like that. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I probably some point I will, but but I feel like I feel like I've absorbed the important parts, which is that that uh, people really love the mystery and the. The, you know, there's the plane crash and the hatch and the, 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 you know, how do we get here? And then everything else is like, 
Well, it's drama, have you, have, right? Have you heard J.J. Abrams talk about like the magic box? Yeah, I mean, we, like, that was, that's how we started the Wired mystery issue, is we spent some time talking about, well, once again, we spent some time communicating through our aides mm-hmm. about that very thing, <laughs> and I was like, you know, hey, we can get together. Nope, never can do that. So what's what's more essential, the question or the answer? Uh, it's definitely the question. I mean, the, the you know, you want a climactic thing, but no one cares what the thing is. They care about the process of being frustrated, right? I mean, like, what we do, what we do is we create enjoyable frustration, right? And it's our job to figure out what the right level of frustration is. And uh, so that's what they do, right? Is they put the question out there, and they they don't really care as much that people solve it as they want to continue working on it. Mike, thanks so much for your time. Where yeah. where can people see the stuff that you're working on and, and keep up with you? Uh, let's see. There's uh, there's this puzzle novel that I did recently called The Maze of Games. It's really good. Uh, Highly, if you if you like puzzles, this is the best there is right now. Well, thank it's super you, fun. Uh, it's available on pennyarcade.com and will eventually be available elsewhere. But right now, that's because we're in the Penny Arcade building, so our warehouse is right there, and we can walk over and fulfill an order. Uh, All right, we'll, we'll put a link to uh, Maze of Games and your uh, Twitter profile. In the, in the show notes if people want to follow up. Aces. And then there's the Pathfinder Adventure card game, which is available from paizo.com. Uh, and, you know, I mean, there's... Uh, that's that's kind of a, a, a big game. Uh, you know, so people want to try that out and see if they want to devote their entire lives to playing it. I'm entirely <laughs> in favor of it. All right. Thanks, Mike. Okay. Talk to you later, Max. All right. Well, thank you so much to uh, Mike for your for uh, his time, and uh, we will. Uh, I would love to uh, at some point. I would love to show Mike a couple episodes of Lost and have him on the podcast to talk about it. I think he'd be. Uh, <laughs> I think he'd be an, a really interesting figure to actually, uh, if he ever actually sees the show, to uh, talk about it. I love um, that he never actually went back and checked it out. You know, the idea that you collaborated with J.J. Abrams on like an entire Wired magazine puzzle thing yeah. during the last season of a show. And then just, eh. <laughs> yeah, I know. Eh. I mean, yeah. that's a, I mean, that's amazing. I just, you know, obviously, I'm speaking to that from like a, you know, a lost super fan perspective. So I don't. I it suppose is, there is, are people out there that just don't care. I guess. I guess that's okay. I, I keep. I mean, I, you know, I talk to about lost with so many people now, um, especially you know be, because people know we're doing the podcast, and so many people have never seen an episode, and and they just feel it's like they're like oh, I missed the boat on it, like you know I'm never gonna go back and watch it, I, which is so weird to me. Like I'm, that's I guess that's part of why we're doing the podcast is like we we I mean obviously we both feel like there's still so much here, but also like you know um, it's totally possible to recreate that that fun of seeing it for the first time. Like I'm having I'm having a blast. I'm watching these and and getting all the the emails from people and stuff about them. I mean, you know, it's just like any show when you get five, six seasons in that it just feels like there's so much weight attached, especially when you're talking about a show like Lost that has a deep mythology. You know, it's it's a show that has a lot going on in it. So it wouldn't surprise me if some folks were scared off. And then also, you know, not to get too into later parts of the show, you know, it was a divisive show when it when, when it ended that if you are trying to figure out how you're going to spend your time, that might tilt you into the, well, that's not a show that I need to check out. But if you're listening to this, you're not one of those people. You're smart. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's get into this episode. Um, did you like it? Yeah, I, I like Claire a lot. And usually it's, you know, 
part of the reason I really like Claire is because it also means we get more of Charlie and we get more of the really good Charlie yeah. because uh, in the same way that Charlie and Hurley moments are always really special, I find that uh, Claire uh, and and Charlie moments are also like exceptionally special as well. They just they just feel f- so natural and they don't they do a really smart moment uh, early in this episode where they're having a converse where Claire and uh, Charlie are having a conversation and he explicitly kind of says he's not romantically interested in her, which, you know, you could interpret as a diversion tactic, you know, you know, maybe he's playing the long game, but either way, as the viewer, you start looking at these two characters through the lens of someone that's just gone through a lot, Charlie, um, and, and feels like he wants to maybe pay that forward in some sense and and finds Claire who doesn't have anyone and is clearly going through a tough time and all of their all of their moments together then feel really special cuz it's not like I'm not waiting for a cutaway where they're going to have sex she's like you know about to have a baby that can't even like <laughs> like physically happen so it diffuses a bunch of like traditional tension you get between male and female characters right and and one that we're seeing you know the show even early on struggle with between Jack and Kate and Sawyer to the point where it can sometimes get a little annoying. We're only, this is what, the eighth or ninth episode? Like, we're ninth episode. We're we're, we're early on, and it still, it falls into the traditional trap that a lot of uh, relationship uh, that play out in in fiction do. Uh, Whereas Claire and Charlie, I don't know. There's just something really nice about it that I get excited when it's just the two of them playing off each other on screen. Yeah, I also think... um... Uh, the the uh, M- M- Emily de Ravine. I'm, I'm sure I'm... <laughs> I, I feel like we should just keep going through this show, not knowing how to pronounce her name. Please don't tell us how to do it. Like don't. <laughs> like I, if I don't actually want to know because then it will mean at some point I might learn. Whereas what I prefer is that whenever I want to say the actress's name, I then have to realize that I don't know how to say it. <laughs> Yeah, I have. I'm sure I just butchered her name, but anyway, what I was going <laughs> to say is she's a great actress. I think she's she's actually. Uh, I think she's she's one of the best. Gives one of the best performances of of any of the the sort of ancillary cast, um, uh, in the whole season. And I I was really I'm really creeped out by her in this episode. Like it really there's so much that could have been really hammy about you know her waking up from the nightmare and like seeing the psychic and. I she just sold the shit out of it, and I was really creeped out, and and it really got to me. Yeah, she swings between really funny, really charming, really heartwarming, really scared. Like she she goes like a full emotional spectrum in this episode. That you know, it's you know at points like touches on the larger island mythology, and like you know continues to sort of expand on what was happening with Saeed because you know by the end we realized that that Ethan was not on the the manifest, but, you know, by and large, most of the episode is very human emotions that you can relate to. You know, this is obviously an episode that I think is, is meant to purposely follow what happened with Saeed, where you get a big, you know, not necessarily uh, mythology dump, but you get a much larger sense of what's happening in this world. And this one really grounds you in this woman is, you know, having a child, she's freaked out. She lost her boyfriend that committed to her. 
Uh, but then also you have like weird stuff happening with the psychic. <laughs> yeah, let's let's talk about the 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 um the flashback uh, uh, part of the episode. What do what did you make? What do you make of the psychic? Because I, I and when I watched this the first time, I was like, this was one of those mysteries in the show where I was like, oh, this is key. Like this is the this is the central you know mystery to to unraveling it. And I guess I, I guess what. I guess what got me excited about it, it was it was sort of a mystical, magical thing that was happening off island. Yeah, it's I think that's what gives the psychic moment so much gravity is this implication. And again, it's where the show brilliantly outlines or expands your understanding of what the show can be without being like, hey, huh? Huh? Yeah. You know, it's it's like it's a it's a psychic with with uh, two women going once she's found out she's pregnant, like this is, you know, not it's not a hard scenario to imagine. And then she gets, you know, well, yeah, obviously she goes back twice, but you know, she gets what seems to be a bad premonition, and then they're they're asked to to go away. But you know, when she does the follow up and comes back, and then learns a little bit more about what he saw and the fact that the psychic believes that you know it's it's very important that she is the the parents of this child. You know, seeing that contrasted with what's happening on the island gives you, I guess, maybe for is that the first direct or, or seemingly direct connection between something off island and something on the island? I guess so. It's the it's the first that I can remember. I mean, it's not very you know, it's not obvious about that. It, it's not explicit about what that means. But as far as I can tell, you know, it's, other than the, the idea first that there's time, it's the first time I can remember where where something sort of. You know, the, I, there's something sort of surreal, you know, magical about a lot of the things on the island where they're right in between this thing of like, you know, like Jack's Jack's father not being in the coffin, right? Where it's like right in the middle of like, well, did it fall out or did is it, it did something is weird happen? And it's like it's this is the first time I think you see that off the island where things start to get really surreal and weird off the island in a way that that connects to what's happening on the island. I do think it's the first time you see that in in the show. Yeah, and and I think that's it seems like it's the first moment that Lost kind of starts to blur the lines or at least starts to say, "Hey, we're going to step, you know, maybe sidestep a little bit of reality or at least, you know, our our common understanding of it uh in a way that uh is really creepy like the 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 way the psychic, like the actor, I have really not seen him in anything else as far as as far as I know, but um he he, looks he plays so that. Familiar. I thought so too, but I couldn't tell if he was familiar because I've watched Lost so many times, or if he's familiar because maybe he's a character actor that I've seen well, in he, other he things before. He looks a lot like Colm Meany from Star Trek. Okay. Yes. Yeah. From Star okay. Trek, but are you if looking I mean, him up right now? He's portrayed by Nick Jameson. He's on Twenty Four. He's on Twenty Four. He's the <gasps> Russian president. You're right. You're right. That's what he's from. Dang. Technically, IMDb is right, but I'll take it. Dang, you're right. Wow. He was wow, in the wow, band wow, wow, wow. Fog Hat. Wait, really? Yeah, from 1974 to 1977. <laughs> Doing what? Backup dancer? I don't know. <laughs> I guess he was in, like, Frozen. I'm, uh, this is crazy. He's in a lot of stuff. Well, he, you know, he said, he, you know, I, I think that's, it's to uh, the actress who portrays 
Claire. I'll just sidestep butchering the name. Um, and the psychic, uh, to both their credit, I think they managed to sell some really what could have been patently absurd B-movie level concepts in this episode in, in a way that allows you to maybe not take them seriously, but to accept them as part of the show in, in a way that a show with lesser actors and actresses would have had you kind of rolling your eyes or maybe walking away. I did have a pretty funny uh, thing uh, uh, watching those uh, the psychic scenes. So on the so I'm I'm watching a downloaded uh, version of Lost that I let's say purchased, mm-hmm. and it's got um, a subtitle track on it. That I, I mean I could turn it off, but I I often leave it on um, just because sometimes I, I catch a little something in the dialogue that I wouldn't otherwise. And they subtitled like when he's when he's sort of distressed when he's like reading her uh, her holding her hand and, and reading her her future or whatever. It just puts in it's like bracket grunting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so well, I guess we should set up what's actually happening in in, in the flashback as our. Uh, the sort of the primary storyline. There's a lot of yeah. you know, so there's the, a lot of stuff this, that's this playing out. This guy too was in the psychic. He was in. He's in a ton of video games. He was in Mass Effect Three. He's in Arkham Asylum. Playing who? Who is he playing at Mass Effect? Uh, it just says like various characters, additional, <laughs> additional voices. All right, this seems like a guy we need to add to our list of people we could probably reasonably get a hold of. He, he was in. Oh my god, that would be amazing. He was in. Wait, is this a real? Did they really make a game called Final Fantasy Thirteen Two? Oh yeah, and they made a Final Fantasy thirteen three. That's <laughs> okay. Well, how do you how do you else do you make a direct sequel to a game called Final Fantasy thirteen? Aside from the obvious, you mean? Yeah. Uh, I I don't know. I don't I, <laughs> talk about a fandom that's like impenetrable. Like I never had a PlayStation growing up, so Final <laughs> Fantasy is just the weirdest shit to me. I don't know anything about it. Anyway, so who's in uh, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood? He played William Miles. William, let me see what that William Miles. He was in Star Wars: The Force Unleashed Two. He played a rebel officer. William Miles. Oh, really? Okay. All right. I played all the Assassin's Creed games. I, I, I remember this character. Weird. I got to start tracking down these voice actors. I got a job to do this week. Can't you find these voice can't actors? You write some sort of profile of like video game voice actors, and then just go get all the people who have also been on Lost for us. Well, at least with this one, I know some people on the Assassin's Creed team. So, oh, cool. I, assumingly, I could. Have someone forward me to someone oh, else. Oh, dude, he played a lot of characters in Psychonauts, too. I bet some of our uh, Double Fine friends um, know how to get in touch with him. He played the coach in Psychonauts. No shit. Yeah. Okay. We're going to find this guy. Yeah. This'll be, that'll, be a, that'll be awesome. Okay. So anyway, let's see. What, what happens on the island? Um, so the main thing is, like, Claire has, has a nightmare, and then the next night um, she... she well, I guess it's it's still a little bit. I guess it's ambiguous at this point, or are we just going to say that we we believe Claire? I mean, it's pretty. Well, it's so the, the the show tries to this episode sets up something similar to Jack in that are you do you believe that Claire is actually being attacked or seeing these crazy things uh, in the night, um, or is it you know that she's actually having anxiety? Um, and hallucinations as a result of being so close to 
actually giving birth. Uh, you know, and Jack, you know, advises her saying that these things are normal. It can definitely happen as a result of stress. And then imagine the stress of a pregnancy plus the stress of crashing on this island and all the, that goes into that. Um, but Claire is very adamant that she's telling the truth. And what this sets up is like a very clear tension between Claire and Jack. And then also what's added to the mix is the fact that Charlie has now immediately aligned himself with Claire and believes her unilaterally, despite the fact that he has no real evidence other than Claire's word. Um, but well, once other, again, the other ominous thing is like, you know, so, so stringing together, I mean, uh, jumping, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, but, but you know, the, the obvious thing is like Claire says, you know, someone came after her with a needle and like, as Jack says when he's talking about her pregnancy a little later in the episode, he goes, you know, we're on an island. We don't have any medical supplies. We don't have any anesthesia or, you know, whatever. So it, it's sort of like planting the seed in your head of like, well, if she's, you know, if she's being attacked, like, where is this needle coming from? But then at, obviously with the big reveal at the end of the episode that there are people, you know, in the group who were not from the crash survivors like that's probably the creepiest most ominous part of this is like well what do they have like what resources do they have and and you know if they've got needles or or medical supplies or or you know whatever uh claire is uh alleging like what's going on with these people right and like in in parallel with that is the hurley again having (laughs) like a very smart idea when they the first night where claire uh, feels like she uh, was attacked. They, you know, a bunch of folks go out with torches. They start looking for people, uh, trying to see if they can find uh, who might have done this. And then, you know, Hurley doesn't kind of come down one way or the other. He just says, like, the smart read of that that whole situation, which is that, hey, we should probably try and figure out who everyone is. So if someone did do this, that we can actually hold them accountable. Uh, so one of the the island stories is Hurley then going around to the caves and to the beach, taking names, uh, taking, uh, what else, like a reason that you were in Australia and like what your hometown was, like just kind of some basic biographical information. Uh, And then he ends up learning from Boone, of all people, uh, that, you know, there's an actual manifest that he can match that against. Yeah, and that was um, those are some of my favorite scenes of this episode. I, this was a whole story I completely forgot about, but it's uh, Hurley going around building the manifest. So, like, I love the, the scene where he goes up to Sawyer and he's like, "I'm just going to be straight with you. Like, <laughs> it's I, so good. I want the manifest. I want you to give it to me. You've got it. Give it to me." And so, and he's like, "You could use the points right now." And Sawyer just hands it over. That was awesome. I, I it's just just that line. That line of Sawyer is like, "You really know how to butter up a guy." Yeah, and then just say. <laughs> It just early response is oh it's just a talent and it's just it's such a great it's such well, a great does, moment I mean, for Hurley, both those characters yeah it's it and and I think it also like I think you're also getting um a, a good amount of of um you know it's it's it, it, this episode is starting to make you really interested in Hurley's backstory and what his deal is you know he mentions to Jack like you don't even know my name it's not even Hurley it's Hugo Reyes and you know just the way he's able to work Sawyer like you saw two episodes ago you know. Jack and Saeed were torturing the guy, and they couldn't get anything from him. Um, and, uh, you know, Hurley, Hurley does have a way with him. Like, his method does work. He gets the flight manifest. Well, and there's also a great line with Hurley where, I believe it's in the same exchange he has with Jack about building the manifest, where he says, hey, my name in, 
isn't even Hurley. You know, we learn for the first time that his name is Hugo Reyes. And that's his way of kind of, it seems like he, he's not a super fan of his own nickname. Um, but, you know, it's, it's more to underscore the point that we don't know anything about any of us, um, you know, including, you know, Jack and Hurley, who, you know, of all the characters on the island are, you know, in the upper echelon of characters that have like legitimate relationships. And yet they don't even know they're not even on a real first name basis. Uh, also, the uh, psychic he was it, he was the bassist in Fog Hat, and also he was the <laughs> he was the voice of uh, Francis the Ladybug in A Bug's Life. What? Stop it! This is too much. He's been in everything. This is too much. He's, he's probably one. he's probably listening to the show right now. He's probably just he's probably he's probably listening. He's everywhere. Damn. Um, so let's see. Should we? Should we? Should we? I feel like the most of the. Um, most of the meat of the episode of, of in terms of the the uh, more you know lost mythology stuff is like pretty much in the last like two or three minutes. Um, yeah. So uh, you see, so Saeed kind of comes stumbling out of the woods. I think does does Locke find him or was Locke just standing around? Um. Locke was sort of lurking ominously, and I thought may I thought maybe it was like implied that Locke brought him in from from the woods. Possibly. As an aside, uh, one of the creepiest shots in all of Lost happens in that first. Oh, uh, is it Black Eyes Lock? Yeah, the dream nightmare sequence where Clara's walking around. It's like Lost is not a show that dips into horror too often. It's a show that gets tense. It's a show that gets maybe a little unnerving sometimes, but it doesn't, you know, it's, you know, a network show that was on at like 8 o'clock. Like it doesn't really try and get scary all that often. But that first sequence is. Like legitimately terrifying and creepy, and when Locke looks up and has the black and white eyes, like, oh my god, I completely forgot that scene existed. But man, it's just—it's really unnerving. Yeah, yeah. At some point, then her hands dipped point, in blood. She's ah. Yeah, at some point later in the season, um, we we should we should kind of make a we should go through a lot of the different dreams and visions in mm. in the season and sort of take stock of like you know do they mean something are they is it just creepy like you know i'm try, i'm curious cuz like there was a lot in here that that i think um seems to connect to some of the the mythology of lost in that claire dream um and especially connect to to even things that we see later in this episode so i wonder if there's not some some stuff in other um uh, prof, you know, uh, visions and and uh, hmm. uh, dreams and stuff that that might be that might be pretty pretty well thought out. Um, so uh, uh, let's see where so Saeed uh, comes in and he says we're not alone. And then uh, Hurley comes in and says there was someone who wasn't on the manifest. There's someone who's living with us who wasn't on the plane. And then it pretty much cuts right back to um, Claire and Charlie after Charlie has kind of talked Claire down, and you see. Ethan, who was the guy who was introduced in, in last week's episode, just sort of standing there with his mouth open, looking real creepy. Oh, it's one of my favorite cuts. Yeah. Like, the, when, when, it, when it does the whole, like, boom, lost. Like, th- that's, you know, my wife, when uh, we, we were watching this episode, like, that, like, you have chills when it cuts to that. Even though I, I know what happens, I know <laughs> where all these arcs go, like, that specific cut, when it, when it just ends the episode that way... I, the way that Ethan's mouth is just like slightly it is you're right it's like it just it's creepy like you feel like he's like drooling over 
what's about to happen, but like, why does he care? And then the implication that maybe he did have a needle and like, why does he have a needle? And then who are these people that have a needle? What is like, (laughs) there's, there's so many weird things that start going through your head. Once you get the confirmation that Ethan is not on the manifest, which means he wasn't on the plane, but he's wearing normal clothes. But did he get those normal clothes from like a suitcase or it's yeah. I wasn't really was thinking all this stuff. Through was it. he wearing something weird when you when you see him later? I don't I don't think so. I think he's just wearing like some normal pants and a some, a shirt. Like I don't I don't think it's anything. Oh, I see. You mean like if he came out of the jungle, where where is he getting these street clothes from? Right, 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 right. Like yeah, yeah is, did he did he? You know, when you're thinking of that from the viewer's perspective of okay, now we know he is an other or he is someone else on this island. Um, like where, like how, how, you know, when you start thinking of all the implications of what allows Ethan to be Ethan, it just gets well, really he, big really quickly. Pa- I mean, he passes for one of them. You see him; he's having a conversation with Locke the week before. Uh, so he's you know he speaks in contemporary English and uh, can pass as a as a, a you know a, a current uh, you know I guess American uh, or, or Canadian uh, just a regular guy. And, and it's also one of the things that Lost is was, was spectacularly good at throughout its entire run. You know, however you feel about how the the show's plot went, was it was really good at introducing new characters pretty organically, um, which is really difficult for a lot of shows to do. It's it's why a lot of shows run into trouble because they they mine the characters you love and run into early on, and then have a lot of trouble bringing in new characters after that and. For Lost to introduce Ethan and seed him in earlier episodes in ways that don't feel like super obvious, or like it's really obvious to you and me when we're watching it now because we know who Ethan is and what he becomes and what he does. But when those couple of moments where they have a couple shots with him, he just seems like he's Stephen and Scott. Like he just he's just a random other guy that's uh just being brought in because they need someone else to to kind of fill in and make it seem like there's more people on this island than just you know the the 10 or 12 survivors that we interact with and and ethan is a character that they i think seed pretty well in a way that it pays off spectacularly when when it's actually revealed that he is you know maybe not a villain but at least has ulterior motives um, you want to do, uh, I feel like that's a pretty good place to, uh, to leave things for next week. You want to do some trivia? Yeah, let me, uh, let me pull up the document. Uh, let's see. So these come, uh, courtesy of, uh, as always, Lostpedia and IMDb. Uh, so, uh, Jorge Garcia, who plays Hurley on the show, uh, he uh, confirmed on his podcast, Geronimo's Jack Beard, or Geronimo Jack's Beard, uh, that at the end of the scene where Hurley interviews Locke for his census, the part where he approaches a background survivor to ask for additional information was an improvised line that Jorge added himself. Uh, there's this great scene where when like Hurley is clearly kind of creeped out uh, about Locke, just generally speaking, which, you know, you can't really blame him for. And he like they kind of get in an awkward moment where he's asking information and then he walks away and 
tells this like random passerby like, "Hey, I just need to talk to you because I don't want to talk to that guy anymore." So <laughs> I think it's I think it's amazing that that was actually improvised because you would think for a show that has as much mythology and plotting as as Lost does that you probably don't get a whole lot of improv uh, on on a show like that. It's it's probably pretty strictly based on the script. So to know something like that actually made it to final cut is uh, is pretty great. Um, so this is a this next piece of trivia is something that pays off something we had uh, we had seeded last episode uh, in which we mentioned that uh, 107 and 108 uh, were episodes that had been kind of switched around. Uh, so the reason they were switched around uh, is uh, so this episode uh, had the production number 107, while the previous episode Solitary had the production number 108. Uh, it was confirmed by the producer of the show that the episodes were written in that order and the ending scenes were re-edited when it was decided to switch their order. In an interview, Jorge Garcia, who apparently gives out all the Lost trivia, uh, said the episodes were switched because it would have been strange for the characters to start playing golf when Claire and Charlie were missing. <laughs> Which, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Oh, was uh, that why Claire and Charlie weren't in last week's episode? I guess so. I guess so. Because I thought that was weird. Like, usually everyone kind of gets a little cameo. Yeah, so it, it seems like that was actually just sort of a, an editing job. Uh, the $20,000 offered up to Claire as part of giving up her baby uh, for adoption is illegal in Australia. People may have their medical and living expenses paid by prospective adoptive parents, but any form of profiting from the adoption out of a baby is expressly prohibited. Uh, and then this is a, this is a really interesting one. Uh, so during a Q&A session in Israel in July 2009, executive producer Jack Bender revealed that a director, uh, Marita Grabiak, uh, pushed for the opening sequence of Claire's dream to be shot in black and white. Despite politely refusing her suggestion, she kept pushing for it, and he had to overrule her. She would never direct on Lost again. That's pretty crazy. Just, you know, this is uh, this was something that, that I wanted to bring up when we, when we saw... Uh, this is just a great story that that reminds me of that I wanted to bring up uh, during the, the Sun and Jin episode. But um, there there's, you know, it's interesting, like, like, you know, getting to read some of the behind-the-scenes drama. Like, I know there was a lot of controversy um, internally about the uh, Jin and Sun episode because a huge portion of the episode is them talking to each other in Korean and, uh, you know, on a network television show to have, you know, half of an hour of television um, subtitled is is asking a lot of the audience and, and pretty unusual. Um, and I know one of the notes from the network executives that they send back was, this is the best hour of television I've ever read. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I don't. I'm glad they were able to to pull that that off. I'm sure the ratings is what allowed them to not have to take that note and change the episode yeah. as a result. Uh, you know, I, I'd imagine shows that were struggling would have been, you know, more inclined to take that note. And I mean, I don't know what you do. Do you? I mean, gosh. Can you even imagine if they had to actually take that note and change the characters as a result? I mean, I don't even know what they would have done. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe... Find some way to make them both speak basic English? But then that changes, like, like ah, like, you know, huge parts of those characters. Maybe it's just, like, an unexplained, like, when they're in Korea, they're speaking English or something. But it's so... <laughs> I mean, but that makes it so confusing. And it's so... It's such an important character thing that... that that you know, Sun speaks English and Jin doesn't know. Like, yeah, I don't know. 
All right, so let's see. Next week, we are going to watch episode 10 of Lost, uh, All the Best Cowboys Have Daddy Issues. So this is our second Jack episode. Um, I think, uh, let's see, I think it's not too much of a spoiler to say, based on the end of this episode, it's going to be a pretty action-packed uh, episode. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, intense uh, uh, action scenes and, and um, uh, pretty, pretty overall uh, intense episode next week. Um, do you remember anything about this one? No, I'm clicking on a Wikipedia entry now to try and get some sense of... Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Good episode. Yeah, it's a good one. I don't remember what the Jack flashback is. I, I, I'm I worried that it might be a pretty boring uh, Jack flashback, but we'll see. Um... Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, no. Oh, it's a good one? Well, yeah. It's We're still mining good parts of Jack's... Uh... Uh, background uh this 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 one is 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 good we we learn you know without getting into too much uh more about the relationship with his father oh good oh yeah that is a good flashback yes. i know what you're yeah talking. it's I it's it's I, I i think it is you know it is, is definitely in terms of the hierarchy of jack flashbacks it is definitely up there it's a it's a really critical one in terms of establishing why jack is such a like a broken man yeah um, all right, so as always, uh, show notes for this episode are available at rewatchpodcast.com. Uh, you can email us your questions or comments at rewatchpodcast at gmail.com. Did Patrick, do you want to give out the uh, the phone number again? Um, we, we can take some uh, voicemails and, and we'll put them together when we have a little more time to edit next week. Uh, I'm, I'm pulling it up now. I'm pulling it up now. Um, I'm gonna. Have, I don't have it offhand. <laughs> I have to, I have to sign into a different Gmail account. Okay. Uh, just keep good. going. Just keep going. I'm this, gonna. I'm gonna try this, and make it happen. This is good radio. All right. Thanks to Steve Fowlwash Kim for our work. Thanks to Dose One for our theme music. You can check out his work, including his ringtone of the month, doseone.bandcamp.com. Thanks, as always, to Lex Friedman and the Midroll for hooking up our sponsorships, and thanks to all of you for listening uh, along with us. And also thank you uh, this week again to Igloo for sponsoring us. We will see you all next week. As soon as Patrick reads this all-important phone number, 872-222-6753. Nailed it! I'm the best!